before we jump into the text, it pays to read your notes. I realized I left out our fourth graduate. Uh, Mary McGilvray graduated from Little Rock Christian. She will be attending uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that she got recognized and be praying for her as well. Uh, but now, if you would, please open your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 35. We'll be looking at verses 20 through 27. The text is printed for you on pages 5 and 6 of the bulletin. 2 Chronicles 35, starting in verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I am not coming against your house this day, but against the house with which I am at war. And God has commanded me to hurry, cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot Josiah, King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah, and all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their lament to this day. They made these a rule in, Jeru in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord, and his acts first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. You may be seated. And as you do, let us seek the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. In this hour, we pray that you would help us not to be like Josiah in this case. That we would indeed listen to your word of warning. Listen to your call for us to humbly submit ourselves daily, faithfully to your word. Until the day you call us home. May you help us to be faithful as we hear. May I be faithful as I preach your word, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Today marks the conclusion to our short series on King Josiah. As the reading hopefully made clear, we have reached the end of both Josiah's reign and sadly his life. Personally, I find it fitting that we close out Josiah on the same Sunday that we recognize our graduates. And no, I don't mean this in a kind of morbid, everybody dies, graduates, there's your wisdom for the day. While that certainly is a, an important message that Death does await all of us. It, it, it's not simply the point of the text this morning. No, the details surrounding Josiah's death are intentional. There is a purpose to them. There is a reason why the chronicler writes them in this way. And no, it's not for shock factor. It's not for entertainment. It's not even simply to record the historical reality that Josiah died and his death was great. Now, if you remember way back from our beginning, the Chronicler is writing these two books for the people of God preparing to and actually in the act of returning from exile. It's been 70 years of them in Babylon. They're going home, and as they go home, they needed to be reminded and in many cases even retaught what would keep them in the land. And that was faithfulness to and humility before God. 
And we've seen how such traits marked Josiah's reign. We've seen in detail how the nation was blessed by his faithfulness to the Lord and to his word. But here in his death, the people would see the other side of the coin. They would get a warning. Because Josiah did not merely die. No, his reign actually ended in, not in glory or triumph, but actually in humiliating defeat. And it was because of what we read in verse 22. He did not listen to the words of Nico from the mouth of God. This is the message that's resounding in the account of Josiah's death. Not that the king died. It's that the king died refusing to listen to the word of the Lord. That's the chief takeaway for the people who are returning from exile. It's the chief takeaway for us people living in exile. We welcome disaster when we refuse to humbly submit ourselves to the word of God. Graduates, I'll be honest, you need such warning as you enter this next stage in your life. No, it's not to scare you or intimidate you, but hopefully to motivate you to actively pursue humility before the Lord and his word. But you're not alone in needing to heed and hear such a warning. We all need it. Young, old, single, married, we are prone to forget. We can easily convince ourselves that we're fine. Nothing's going to happen. We can do what we want. And greater still, our church needs this warning. Our denomination needs this warning for the very same reasons. We don't need to look too hard to find the myriad of examples of what disaster looks like for the countless denominations, churches, pastors, leaders, and individuals who don't take such a warning seriously. Because sure, the the specifics of their downfall may differ, but essentially where they started to go wrong was refusing to submit themselves humbly to the word of the Lord. So may we find warning from this humiliating end of the once faithful king of Israel. We'll look at Josiah's end in two points. They're printed for you on page seven. First, the irony in Josiah's death, and then second, the tragedy in his death. And we begin with our first point, the irony of Josiah's death. If you look up a definition, irony at its simplest is a state of affairs or an event that seems deliberately contrary to what one expects and is often amusing as a result. Now the irony we see here is not amusing. There is nothing humorous about what happens to Josiah. As we're going to see with our second point, it is indeed a tragedy. However, it is certainly contrary to expectations. As we read this, we should be shocked. It seems out of character for what we've heard about Josiah. You may have been reading it and going, is that the same Josiah we've heard about over these past three weeks, four weeks? And the first irony that we see is that the faithfully seeking king has zero interest in faithfully seeking. We get this news that Nico, king of Egypt, is moving north. He's passing through Israel. And what is Josiah's response in verse 20? 
Josiah goes out to meet him. Now, for a brief historical context, at this moment in time, the Assyrian Empire at once on top of the world is crumbling. The Babylonian Empire is growing, it's expanding. In a desperate plea, in a desperate move to try to hold on to their failing empire, the Assyrians move their capital to Carchemish. And all of Assyria's allies are on, warn are on warning, including Egypt. So Nico moves through Israel to join the Assyrian Empire to fight against Babylon. And we see that Josiah is equally moved to engage when he hears or when he sees Nico's plans. But instead of engaging the Lord, Josiah engages Nico. Think about it, if you will. The king, who we heard earlier as a boy, began to seek the God of his father, does not seek the Lord. The king who sent messengers to inquire of the Lord for me and for the people of Israel does not inquire of the Lord. The king who walked faithfully in the ways of David his father stops walking. Because if you were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, when David is threatened with a Philistine invasion, on two occasions it says explicitly he inquired of the Lord. What should I do? Should I march? Should I stay? Should I fight? Should I flee? David sought the Lord's guidance for what his next move should be. He didn't trust in his own military expertise. He didn't trust in his skill as great as they were. He humbly trusted in the Lord and in his word. We see from Josiah that somewhere between the celebration of the Passover and this moment, his trust is elsewhere. Maybe it's in himself. Maybe it's in his army. Maybe it's in, I think I can persuade Nico to go back. Maybe he wants to stick it to the Assyrians because they were the enemies who destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Or maybe he's trying to play to the favor of the Babylonian Empire. It's always a good idea to become friends with the new big kid on the block. But whatever the reason, we see that Josiah acts out of character when instead of engaging the Lord, he engages the king of Pharaoh. And how often can we be guilty of doing the same thing? Where on one hand, we actively trust and seek the Lord. We pray, we seek godly counsel, we get it. And then we turn around the very next moment and rely on ourselves, thinking that we know better, that our wisdom is better. Such trust in ourselves, whatever it may look like explicitly, is a blatant refusal to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. That's the first irony that we see. The second we see actually comes out of the details of Josiah's death. We see that Josiah, the most faithful king, fights and dies in the same manner as one of the most faithless and wicked kings of Israel. Look at verses 22 and 24. This is how, I'll summarize it, the death of Josiah unfolds. He refuses to hear the words of Nico, and he disguises himself. He puts on common soldier's clothes to enter into battle. Then the archers, they're no fools, they get him. They hit him. Mortal, fatal wound. 
He tells his servants, take me away back to the city for I'm wounded badly. And then he dies, bleeding out in his chariot, eventually getting to Jerusalem where he's buried in the tombs of his fathers. Now on its own, these details are bad. He's not dressed in his royal robes in glory and splendor. He's dressed like a common soldier bleeding out in his chariot. There's no glory, no honor of the death of this king here. But considering another Israelite king who died in a very similar fashion, this is downright humiliating. If you have your Bibles open, flip a few pages back to 2 Chronicles 18. Specifically in verses 28 through 34, where the chronicler records the death of Ahab, the northern king of Israel. For those of you who don't remember, Ahab was the king during that famous showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel, where the prophets are cutting themselves and dancing and and Baal is silenced. And Elijah prays to the Lord and fire comes down and consumes the altar and the water and everything in it. Ahab's wife was Jezebel, one of the most evil and idolatrous women in all of scripture. And as for himself, we find that Ahab was wicked, one who was hated the Lord. But here in 2 Chronicles 18, notice how he dies. In verse 29, Ahab disguises himself in order to engage battle. Loses the royal robes, dresses in common soldier's gear. Ahab is fatally struck by an archer's arrow in verse 33. Ahab tells his servants, take me away for I'm badly wounded in verse 34. And then Ahab actually bleeds out and dies in his chariot in verse 34. We see the death of Ahab and the death of Josiah mirror one another. The only difference is Josiah actually makes it back to the city dies there and gets buried in his father's tombs, just as he was promised. But such mirroring is not simply coincidental. It's not simply so we can go, well, that's interesting. No, it screams a warning and a harsh reality for the people of God. Your past faithfulness will not save. Past faithfulness is no guarantee of present faithfulness. It won't spare you from disaster for present unfaithfulness. Just look at Josiah. Despite being one who loved the Lord, he died like one who hated the Lord. Josiah acted like a wicked king in this moment, and therefore he died like a wicked king. And we should be warned. We can't be deceived. Past faithfulness does not guarantee present faithfulness. We can't store up for ourselves a reserve and tap into it when we need to. You know, we just don't feel like obeying. And we have all the proof, again, that we need just in the past handful of years of the growing list of scandals of once faithful men and their ministries that ended in disgrace and shame. We must constantly be coming back to the powerful and ever-exposing word of God to keep us from thinking that our past faithfulness is some sort of buffer to avoid the consequences of our present sin. And finally, then, this leads to the last irony, and it's probably even the greatest irony we see. That the king who faithfully heard and obeyed the word of God failed to hear and obey the word of God. 
The judgments rendered in verse 22. Josiah did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Again, the man who previously humbled himself, tore his clothes, and wept before the Lord when he heard his word, does no such thing this time around. And Nico is as clear as clear can be. He warns Josiah. He says, if you oppose me, you're opposing God because God is with me. He's truthful. He's honest. And now some might want to spare Josiah giving him too much blame because how is he supposed to know if Nico was telling the truth? How was he supposed to know that he wasn't just playing fast and loose with words and with emphasizing the God of Israel? For all Josiah knew, he may have been trying to scare or intimidate or at least give Josiah reason to pause. But if we actually compare what Nico says to what other rulers, foreign rulers, say when they approach God's people, Nico lacks that mocking tone that we often see. He's speaking honestly that the Lord is with me. He's told me to go. And we know in past that that God has never avoided using foreign powers as his instruments or his mouthpieces. He is, in fact, the God of all creation. So I like what one commentator says when he writes, how Josiah was supposed to recognize God's guidance is not specified. Though sanctified common sense would have been a perfectly adequate response. Josiah should have known. And if he was unsure, he should have inquired of the Lord, which he failed to do at the very beginning. But instead, he acted like another failed king, Saul, who over and over again, it says, refused to seek guidance from the Lord. So as we come then to to the end of this irony of his death, the words that were read early, earlier for us from Luke 6 are where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And if we are truly humble and honest with ourselves, this is our great irony as much as it is Josiah's. We are constantly refusing to do what God's word has clearly told us to do. We turn instead to those empty cisterns of self-reliance and self-pride. We too often conduct ourselves not as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, but those who are rather in love with the world, trusting in it to provide us for the things that we want, for the things that we need. We don't listen to the things that God has told us or warned us against. Things like lust, greed, partiality, pride, selfish ambition, just to name a few. And then we complain when disaster strikes. Neither do we often pursue or find ourselves pursuing those things that the word of God promises will bring us life and joy. And we complain when we're miserable and joyless and lacking in zeal. Let us learn from Josiah, even the irony of his death, Don't turn from listening to the Lord. Humbly submit to his word today, tomorrow, every day. Whether you're young or old. You are never beyond the need to continue to humbly submit yourselves under God's word. And to seek its direction.
So from the irony, then, we move to our second point, the tragedy of Josiah's death. Make no mistake about it. The loss of Josiah as king was devastating. This comes through loud and clear in verses 24 through 27. Now, we know that death is always a tragedy, whether it's unexpected or not. There's always sorrow. There's always grief. But what we see here described is that the death of Josiah was different. There was something unique about it. And in fact, if you were to quickly just leaf through all of First and Second Chronicles, you would find that no other king is said to be mourned for. Not even David, not even Solomon. Josiah alone was the king of Israel who was mourned for. And this is where we, we see the depths of the tragedy of his humiliating end. And why was he mourned like this? First, we see that he was a king unlike any other. Obviously, we've looked at that in detail. From the very beginning of his reign at eight years old, Josiah was special. He purged Israel of idolatry. He restored the temple. He renewed the covenant. He led the greatest Passover celebration Israel had ever seen. But one could argue, well, eh, that's just the writer's opinion. How did the people feel about him? How did they view their king? What we see here is that the people clearly recognized and respected Josiah. We see it in their actions upon the news of his death. Look at the end of verse 24. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. All the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in the lament to this day. They made a rule in Israel. We see all the people coming out to remember, to honor Josiah, their fallen king. They're mourning, they're in sorrow and grief. Now, I've been alive for a handful of the deaths of renowned leaders or famous individuals. And probably the two that have struck me the most as I look back on them were the deaths of Princess Diana in 97 and honestly the, the death of Kobe Bryant just a few years back in 2020. I remember how the news of both unexpected deaths sent shockwaves, not only in their respective countries, but throughout the world. I can remember watching through the news the public display of grief by family and friends and thousands, if not millions of people. We saw that these two individuals were dearly loved and respected for who they were and for the things that they accomplished. I can remember when I was nine years or 11 years old, watching Elton John sing a candle in the wind at her funeral, a nation's lament for their lost princess. And I can remember even more vividly, strong, big, large men like Michael Jordan and Shaq weeping at Kobe's funeral over the loss of their dear friend and a fellow basketball legend. Those two pictures are what we see taking place here in Israel. The sorrow is heavy. There's lamenting. The grief is real. We're even seeing traditions are being started because of the great tragedy that takes place. And no, these laments are not the book of Lamentations. Those are two different. We don't have the record of this, whatever book of laments is, that was written. But even that book was written for a way to honor and remember 
Israel's greatest fallen king. For Josiah was a great king, and even though his death was humiliating, it didn't negate the reality that his reign was marked by good deeds done according to the word of the Lord. That is what made it such a great tragedy. And actually we see that 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 is the greatest tragedy. Not only that their greatest king died, but that this great king was actually the one who was holding back the wrath of God that was coming. We know this because the prophetess Huldah, back in chapter 34, said that he was the, prophet, the, the king who was holding back the judgment that was coming. And the people would learn this in a short 25 years. That's all it took from when Josiah died to when Babylon invaded. And I would argue this is also what we see why Jeremiah is thrown in here. Because Jeremiah, we know, is the weeping prophet. And we see him utter a lament for Josiah. We don't know what that lament was. But in, just, in Jeremiah 22, verses 15 and 16, we hear Josiah telling Josiah, we hear Je- Jeremiah telling Josiah's son how great his father was. Did your father not eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. And then shortly after that, Jeremiah would also tell Josiah's son that Babylon was coming with God's judgment in hand. And so we see this loss of Jeremiah of Josiah was a tragedy because it was the beginning of the greater tragedy that was to come. Israel's destruction. For just as Josiah met retribution for his refusal to hear and to submit to the word of the Lord, Israel would soon meet theirs. Again, you need only turn your Bible one page, and you can see how short of a section it is between the death of Josiah and the destruction of Jerusalem. God kept his promise to Josiah. He would not see that day. He did enter his grave in peace, even if we don't think that being shot by an arrow and bleeding out and dying is peaceful death. He was buried with his fathers, and he didn't see the day that was coming. And now God was promising to bring his other promise to judge the city and his people for their rebellion and their sin. And so more than the tragedy or the death of any king or important figure, we see that there is the tragedy of receiving the just and righteous judgment that is due sin and rebellion against God and his word. That is the great tragedy of Josiah's death. But even as we sit in and and think about and consider that tragedy, there is good news. There is hope. For the irony and the tragedy of Josiah ultimately points to a greater king. A better son of David. Who, like Josiah, would be a king unlike any other. He would humble himself, coming not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And like Josiah, he would die in unexpected, even shocking fashion. But no, it wouldn't be because of his refusal to submit to the word of God. It would be his refusal to stray from the word of God. He would die fully committed to doing the will of his father, never once straying to the right or to the left, 
but taking on himself as a substitute. The wrath of God against sin. He would be a king lamented and mourned by his people, but their grief and their sorrow would quickly turn to joy. Because death, we would see, would not contain him. For you see, as we come to the close of this series on Josiah, Josiah was always meant to point us forward to Jesus Christ, the true king. It doesn't negate the true and the very critical lessons that we learn or should learn from Josiah, both his successes and his failures. For we would be foolish and arrogant to ignore them. But it doesn't stop here. For Josiah, as good as he was, was never going to be the hope for God's people. Because like them, he was prone to wander. Like them, he would ultimately fail. They needed a king who would not be prone to wander, who would not fail. And so it is in his failure that we rightly see our Savior, the eternal King of God's people, Jesus Christ, David's greater son. He is the righteous and humble king that we need. He is the faithful king who will not stray and therefore will keep his people from straying. And it is because of him that we are cleansed. We are given, as Tim read for us in our assurance of pardon, we are given a new heart and new desires. No longer seeking to walk in our own way. No longer trusting in our own way. But trusting in him and his word. Obeying the rules and the statutes of our great king. And brothers and sisters then as we close this morning. As we put a bookend on this series in Josiah. I simply want to press in on two main takeaways for us this morning. As the people of God redeemed in Christ. The first is to certainly and joyfully rest and rejoice in Jesus Christ. He has not left us to submit to him in our own strength. For if he did, we would always see and taste the disaster for our waywardness. Because rebellion and rejection are too deeply embedded in our sinful nature. And when we act like our own kings, we will always find disaster. But praise the Lord that our king has not only overcome our sinful nature, but helps us daily to submit to God's word by the power of his spirit so graciously given to us. So we can then sing with confidence what we sang just a few moments ago. Help me now to lead a life that's dependent upon your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. These are the prayers that our king is delighted to answer with an affirmative and hearty yes. These are the prayers that, that express a desperate and humble reliance upon our king to lead us in faithfulness to his word. So turn to Christ who strengthens you to do what he's commanded. And then second is to heed the warning that we find in Josiah. And I will admit it's so easy for us at this point to, to take this warning and to aim it in the direction of our culture. Because with, without a doubt, disaster is coming for our culture in countless ways because it continues to not only refuse to submit to but openly mock the word of God. Our culture certainly needs to be warned and exhorted to turn to Christ and plead for mercy. But we as his people also need to heed this warning. 
that disaster comes when we turn from the Lord and his word. We must be actively pursuing, actively seeking to humbly submit ourselves to his word. We cannot rely upon past faithfulness, but we must daily actively put God's word above us and listen to it. We can't even rely on our church's faithfulness or our denomination's faithfulness. So our society, our culture is filled with bad examples where both have abandoned humbly relying upon Scripture. And young people, may I especially plead with you, because the culture is pleading with you, to give up on listening to the Word of God. It's outdated. It has nothing for you but misery and gloom. It's a real buzzkill. But truth be told, the culture is saying the same thing to all of us. None of us are immune. And so may we learn from Josiah. Even a 95% faithful life did not spare him from the disaster of turning from the Lord in that one moment. So may we strive to humbly place ourselves under God's holy word. And learn from Josiah not to ease up, but to press on and to persevere in humility. To even challenge God's word to bring true joy and true lasting pleasure that it promises to give those who walk in faithfulness to it. May we let his word teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. As a church, as individuals, let us be warned. We welcome disaster when we refuse to humbly submit ourselves to the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, I confess my own waywardness. My own times where I am like Josiah thinking that I am king, thinking that my plans are better than yours, that my wisdom is better than your wisdom. God, would you forgive each of us, as we've even confessed earlier, for trusting in our own wisdom, for refusing to humbly submit ourselves to you and to your leading us by your word. Holy Spirit, would you work in us to delight in your word, to let it be that lamp that guides our feet, let it be the path that we walk in today and every day till the day that you call us home. God, I pray for our church. May we avoid disaster by humbly submitting ourselves to you and to your word. I pray the same for our denomination. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be humble. To love your word, to submit to it, to preach it faithfully. Because we need it. Equip us by it. Make us more like Jesus through it, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.